Welcome to episode 264 of Stageworthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. Stageworthy is a podcast about people in Canadian theatre featuring conversations with actors, directors, playwrights, and more. As I mentioned last week, one of my favourite theatre companies, Eldritch Theatre, is producing a new interactive online theatre experience called The Deadly Dungeons of Duodenum. This production combines some aspects of Dungeons & Dragons with theatre to produce a unique story that you can either watch or participate in. If you want to participate, you can purchase Adventurer Tickets. I invited Michael Ripley, who's essentially the Dungeon Master for the night, back to talk about it. So, Michael, thanks for coming back again. I wanted to ask you about uh, the two ticket levels. Now, one ticket level for this show is, you know, what you would get as a regular audience. That's the that's a spectator. Mm-hmm. But then there's a second ticket called the Adventurer's Ticket. So what does an Adventurer's Ticket get you? I think of it a lot like reading a choose-your-own-adventure novel. You purchase a ticket... You create a character, and we've made that super easy. And then you join in. You joke around. You roll the dice. You you uh, you play with the actors and myself. You help determine how the story ends. You literally are inside the play, helping to navigate the story. And for those people who are watching the um, the, the entire narrative. As someone who has purchased a ticket like this, you can dive in full. You can dress up in costume and and put on a funny voice, or you can be the person who really loves telling the story but speaks about yourself in the third person. Mm. I go over there and I hit him with my battle axe and and I cry out in anger. You know, both are valid ways of playing. Both help tell the story and with that ticket you become part of the story now michael it sounds a lot like dungeons and dragons as we sort of mentioned last week now if i have never played dungeons and dragons and i have no clue what i'm doing (laughs) can i still be an adventurer absolutely um we have not only have we created a narrative that helps you on your way that has a lot of posts and of course you won't be alone there'll be other players with you. But my job is to help you navigate or help you deal with the uh, questions and the challenges that you're going to encounter and to gently remind you when, say, that super obscure little ability that comes with your character that you've never used might come in handy in a situation. It's my job, in part, to... Uh, make sure you shine and are using your character at peak performance. Well, that sounds like a lot of fun. It's a it's a heck of a lot of fun. And for anyone who has played Dungeons and Dragons, you will not feel as if uh, you're uh, dragging along these people who maybe don't know the game as well as you. the The story is is reinforced in such a way. And the actors and myself are on board to ensure that it is a seamless process that I have no doubt, having done this sort of thing with Eldritch Theatre many times before, I have no doubt that it's going to be a blast. Well, thank you so much for telling us about it. Again, I, I can't wait to do it. The Deadly Dungeons of Duodenum runs online from November 25th to December 5th. You can learn more and buy tickets at eldritchtheater.ca slash dungeons and use the promo code STAGEWORTHY when you check out for $5 off Adventurer Tickets. If you want to support Stageworthy, consider dropping some change in the virtual tip jar. You can find a link to that in the show notes. Your support helps me continue to bring you great conversations in Canadian theatre. You can find Stageworthy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website with the archive of all 264 episodes at StageworthyPodcast.com. If you want to drop me a line, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at PhilRickaby, and my website is PhilRickaby.com. My guest this week is writer, theater, and performance artist Sadie Berlin.
So Sadie, if you, how, as an artist, how do you describe yourself? Oh, uh, I describe myself as the, the I, I, I go through different terms. Over, I've gone through different terms over time. I think I was um, into multidisciplinary before, but then everybody uses that. And <laughs> so, and it's true that theater is intrinsically uh, uh, multidisciplinary, but I guess... Mm-hmm. Um, I like the term transdisciplinary, and I actually like to say that I'm a theater artist and a performance artist and someone who likes to tend to the spaces between art disciplines. Hmm. Is that is that what uh, transdisciplinary means to you? I think transdisciplinary to me means a hybrid of different art forms um, worked with at the same time. But, you know, the more I'm looking at the theater that's around and the projects I've been working on, um, I'm not sure if, if any of those terms are, are adequate. I, I don't know if, if it's, if theater is becoming more hybrid, uh, but we still call it theater, or mm. if it's just a different iteration of theater. I'm not sure that it matters so much, but mm. um, be- because I do think that we're in a moment in history where language is very crunchy. Um, it's 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 as though um, it's as though it's as though the language is not keeping up with social changes. And so I I found myself in a situation last year where we were doing cultural work and, you know, people were like, oh my God, don't use the word um, diversity. It's too, it's too, um, it's, it's too problematic. And then we went through a phase of using the word inclusion, but that again was accused of centering whiteness and then intersectionality, but then it's a very, um, it's it's not a very lyrical or romantic word. No. And so, I lang- there there are so many aspects of language um, right now that I think has failed to keep up with the times. I I think I think that it's because we're in a big transitional shift uh in society or maybe everybody has that feeling or it's just that we're my contemporaries are at an age where we feel that that i don't know we're getting older and the world is changing um but but yeah so i try not to be when you say like how do i describe myself i try not to be too precious about that and i don't try not to use the same language all the time Mm. Because I think that it's kind of a moving target. That's the, there's that in the 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 discussion about about English and and, and words. It's all like English is an inelegant language that doesn't change that quickly, um, and so trying to use existing words to describe you know that's we run into those problems with the words like diversity and inclusion and them being so white focused and things like that. Uh, we don't have a tradition of compound words the way they they do. I have friends in Germany and they're like, oh, we have a word for that. It's this. And you're like, that makes so much sense. You've mashed these words together to mean something else. And we don't have that as an art form here. Well, I think that that's what makes English so strong in a way, Mm. you Mm. know, and, um, and that's because I used to teach um, French and uh, French to Chinese students. And, um, but, but students who literally had just arrived to Canada and and the in the school there were other classrooms where they were learning English, mm-hmm. and they were so excited about learning French and about learning English, and within a few months, you you could see you, you'd lost them, and that's and that's and it has a lot to do with the fact that of course a lot of co- cool cultural stuff, um you know the um, the American and English language. Um, imperialism across the world mm-hmm. is very strong, the cultural mm-hmm. imperialism. But it's also because, you know, French is 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 a very difficult language 
you mm. can't get by with 1,000 words of French, whereas you can completely get by with 1,000 words of English. And and I think that, and you know, for me, sometimes as a writer, um, for example, recently I was writing and I was thinking about a scaphandrier, and, and I'll tell you what that means in a minute, but... Um, and I just, I just had this whole idea of, you know, the word scaphand and scaphandrier. They're such beautiful words. And they refer basically to, to divers, but especially, you know, divers in the old days where they had like the metal, uh, the, the metal gear that was almost an armor uh, with the grid in front of the face. And, oh, and, yes. Yes. Right. And so. And so we have these beautiful words for that in French. And then in English, it's like, oh, diver. <laughs> it's diver and it's yeah. diver's gear. <laughs> and and it's the same thing with rooms. Like, mm. you know, there's a bedroom and there's a green room and, you know, there's a lighthouse and there's a greenhouse. Um, and in French, we have all different words for that. Mm. But the fact that in, in in English, you can just tag the word room, um, you know, at the end. It just makes it so much easier to learn. And um, I think that's why it's so popular. Hmm. And I had a thought as you were describing that, because that, years ago I heard a, a Quebecois artist describe the difference between French theater and English theater as in English theater, when someone opens a door, all they've done is open a door. And that maybe there was more poetry in what in what the French theater did because it could mean something other than just opening a door. Um, it almost sounds like English is very straightforward, and there's a poetry to French that's difficult to grasp, especially if you're like trying to learn it fresh. Yeah, no, I'm absolutely, and and it's very interesting to think about when you're truly bilingual, you can. You're, you you notice that your thought processes are very different in one in one language um, versus the other. And I was I was in Paris just um, a year ago, and um, and 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 you know the the cultural differences um, matter, and you can see how they can spill into the arts and into the way we express ourselves artistically. You know, like. Um, I just, you know, people having couples having fights in the middle of the street, you know, you, you never see that. I mean, when you see that um, in in um, in Canada, just in in English Canada, it just feels um, extraordinary and and mm. and and very troublesome. Um, whereas whereas in France, it was just like, oh, OK, another couple is 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 arguing in the middle of the street, but it's interesting how I, I, I do, I actually do believe that this links to um, a romanticism and, and a lyricism that, that gets transferred into the arts. Now there's toxicity there. It's not, it's not, I, I'm not, I'm not saying that that's the ideal, but, but just walking the streets of Paris and, observing people and talking to people you know it's just it's just more romanesque it's just a more romanesque hmm. way of living and 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 you know language language goes into the way we live and it goes into the way we make art hmm. um for sure well now i'm super curious about your path to theater what what started you on the path to to to, to doing theater to becoming a theater artist um, and you can take that back as far as, as you want to, uh, to, to describe what drew you to theater in the first place. Well, in a sense, I'm very lucky because I, I grew up, uh, at a point where, um, where, you know, the Thatcher and Reagan, um, way of life and not, had not caught up to Canada quite mm -hmm. so much yet. So mm -hmm. I come from, you know, a single parent family, uh, a very, very much um, um, working class neighborhood. But um, because I was, in, you know, a French Quebecer, culture is an imperative. 
culture is a question of survival. So I, I was exposed to theater in kindergarten. I think that every every year, every few months, people would come to um, um, come to do shows. And I never thought of myself as someone who wanted to be a theater artist, but I was an avid fan. And in grade four, they took us to see our first play, which was Les Belsars, hmm. which was an amazing experience and also a very traumatic experience because even by then, by the the early 90s, um, you know, by then already, um, you we, we could still feel that these women were very close to the women in our family. I grew, I mean, I'm, I, I'm black. I identify mm. as black, but my mother is white and I grew up in an all white family and in a very uh, working class Quebec environment. So seeing Les Balsa, we were very excited and, and I think completely shocked. And it's interesting that a play that now, you know, you watch it and it's, it's, it's aged so much, but, mm. but it, it also, um, and, and so I just, went to theater all the time and as with school uh, because, you know, it was just to, to, it was just as important as, well, not as important as mathematics, but very important. Mm. And, um, and then I would go alone as a teenager to the theater by myself, uh, you know, when I was 14, 15 years old. Uh, but I never thought of it, you know, I never, I never wanted to be necessarily wanted to be a, uh, a theater artist. I, um, like many people, I found out over the years, my first role uh, was in the sixth grade. I was the Virgin Mary um, for two years in a row at my Catholic church. We, mm-hmm. we would, you know, put the baby Jesus in the manger. Um, and in high school, I took something that was called Expression Dramatique, which I don't know if it still exists, but it mm. was four periods per week for two years. And it was it was just designed for us to find ourselves as human beings using theater techniques. Huh. And so we would create scenes, we would we did a lot of guerrilla theater. Uh and uh and we did things that you would never do in schools today, right? Mm. You would, we we learned we we would massage each other all the time. We learned massaging techniques. Mm. Can you imagine? And <laughs> I didn't know I didn't know that some theater schools did that a lot. And I was told, you know, later on that it's what people um, it's 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 what uh, some theater schools do so that uh, actors are comfortable with their bodies. Mm. Um, but you know, we were. We were 16 when we did that. So I don't know if that would fly today. Uh, <laughs> but I didn't really perform in front of the public until Seja. I was, uh, and I did not st- strictly study theater in Seja. I, I got a degree in letters, but um, we had to take three specialties and I did film, theater, and philosophy but but we the film and theater programs were designed um for us to make theater and make films but in order to make us better scholars hmm. so it was not a program designed to make us actors it was designed to um to make us to learn acting and act so that we would know we would know what it feels like um you know, we would be better, we would be better critics. Hmm. Um, And, and it's not until I was living in Toronto, I moved from Montreal to Toronto um, because uh, I met someone and we ended up getting married. And uh, although he's originally from Nova Scotia and, uh, and a friend just said, would you like to be a stage man- manager for, for a Friends Indie show? And I said, yes. And I was an SM, an ASM, and eventually an assistant director on French shows and summer work shows. And, um, and then I thought maybe, maybe I have something to contribute as a writer because I think that before 
I knew how to write. I thought I could write and I would write stories. And so I, I always identified as a writer first. Hmm. And, um, and that's when I started uh, writing for the theater. And, um, and now I'm working. um, I mean, I've done all kinds of different things, but uh, right now I'm the Metcalf Foundation um, dramaturgy intern at the lab at the Stratford Festival. Hmm. And, and uh, can you describe what, what you do? In that, in that position at the lab? Well, I mean, in a pandemic year, obviously it's very different mm. than, what, than what we had planned, but we're, we're working on a lot of projects right now. So um, we, we're working on 10 digital projects and, you know, we're all TV producers now, um, as Rebecca Norton likes to say. And... Um, and uh, yeah, so, but, but also with dramaturgy, you have had to step in, you know, taking on a producer role and uh, in a few cases um, as a director. And so it's, it's been a big learning curve mm. and also working a little bit um, very, very peripherally um, um, helping with the planning and programming for the next couple of years. Um, and, you know, being a blind person in the dark, you know, mm. in terms of in terms of the pandemic and what's ahead, um, and but you know we 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 get to ask ourselves interesting questions because we get to pretend that well we don't know what the future is, and so we get to think up any future that we might want, and we've been having very interesting conversations mm. about about the future of um, of theater the future of the institution mm. the future of our department within the institution and and um, and yes yeah, so, so there's there's a lot of freedom in that mm. yeah what kind of what kind of, of questions about the future and what kind of things are you imagining uh, for the future as you as you look forward well, I mean, you mean for me or for the festival? Uh, either, whichever, whichever one comes to you first. Well, I, I, you know, I have, I'm, I think that we're each, you know, going through our um, dark night of the soul, in the, <laughs> except it's a, it's a dark year of the soul. So mm. I have my concerns. I think that that for the <laughs> festival. Um, and I mean, for the lab, right? And the lab is where we do, is where we develop um, the projects that are not developed in, in a traditional way, mm -hmm. uh, the usual traditional way that the festival does. I would say that my, one of my concerns in this very heightened cultural moment is how we're going, we, we need to, um, remain very rigorous and vigilant in terms of form because mm. uh, I mean that's my that's my um, that's where I live I mean I if if uh, if I didn't think that there was um, improvement to be made in form I would probably not be working in theater mm. um, and and so um, you know I I it, it's it's very complex to me because when we ask an African artist to come to a white institution, mm. we often want to capitalize on their culture. Um, and, and it's important to tell cultural stories that have not been told before, of course. Um, my greatest... My greatest fear in this great moment when we're bringing in new voices is how do we um, how do we not lose sight of the aesthetics? How do we not lose sight of having work that is um, challenging in every way? Mm. Um, and and I and I do think that traditionally, although I hear that 
things are better in Van- in the Vancouver scene. I think that traditionally um BIPOC Canadian artists um have been asked to represent their culture and have been asked to um to be um sociologists uh, um and anthropologists um almost instead of artists. Mm. So that's something that I'm trying to keep an eye on. Um, you know, I'm just I'm just an intern. I don't have a lot of power, but that's that's my little agenda that I'm pushing. I mean, that kind of thing starts somewhere, right? There, the agenda starts somewhere, and and uh, a just an just an intern can have an can have an impact. So, um, to me, it sounds like important work that that there's no just an intern in that it's like the work has to start somewhere yes we're <laughs> we're pioneers that's for sure <laughs> yeah. i mean there's a lot of pioneering going on this year um you yeah. mentioned uh having to suddenly become tv producers what has the transition to uh digital medium been like for you in all of this well i mean it's not just it's not just pivoting to digital it's pivoting to digital in isolation Mm, right mm. it's it's not it's not like being a bunch of people on a tv set or a movie set um well i i I mean it's 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 all brand new like we we're we're having a shoot in the next couple of years in the next couple of weeks sorry um and the director is in nova scotia so she's going to be directing um remotely Hmm. and um and I think the main challenge has been to the festival is a big machine that works very well and and that is it's very challenging to shift the gears on that machine. Hmm. It's it it's very it was very interesting to see how small theater companies were very nimble. Mm. And we're able to to adapt much faster than bigger companies to 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 the moment for many reasons, but but partly because you know the bigger the organization is, the harder it is to to pivot for some reason. Well, I, you know, it's almost like there's the the train analogy where you know a train can be going a certain amount and it can't a certain speed and it can stop, but it takes that train a long time to stop as opposed to a, a small car. Um, I guess there's more, more people, more moving parts. It's hard to mobilize all of those people, I guess. Yeah. Yes. That, that, that's, that's a great analogy. Yeah. Um, in, in my day job, we've had to, to pivot to digital as well. We work in the events industry and, you know, very early on we were, you know, trying to, all of us trying to become sudden experts in, 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 in video and, and lighting and, and how best to present video when we'd never touched it before. Um, I think a lot of artists have been going through the same thing. Um, have you made any discoveries in, in the use of video, um, and, and digital in that way? And of course, you know, trying to, having to learn that by yourself in your own home as well, were there any things that surprised you? Well, no, we're very lucky that we're able to, we have the resources to have, uh, to, you know, we have technical directors still on staff and, you know, we have a great um, um, communications department. So, so that's not too difficult, for example. I mean, uh, there is a piece because of uh, that department is so busy right now that, that sometimes we have to pick up the slack and I actually, um, so we're do one of the things we're doing. We're recording an audio drama, and we will have to add um, um, sign sound effects to it. Mm. And and I said, well, you know, I can, I can play with you know when I play around with GarageBand, I can overlay tra- tracks, right? And I said, is that the same thing in in film? It's like yes, it's the same thing. So so we're going to do that together. And I think that we're lucky that we're kind of in a um, um part of a generation that has had to to um that's always been connected to technology 
Um, and so that I think that that makes it a little bit easier for those of us who are under the age of uh, of uh, of forty. Mm. But um, but yes, at the end of the day, you do have the doubts of is it going to look professional enough, especially mm. when you when you work for um, an institution that has a reputation for for producing very polished things, and and that's another interesting question for me is that what is polished is polished uh to be valued um isn't it better sometimes to be a little bit looser and to and to um rely on the energy of the creators and the performers um and so we we've been i i think that these are questions that that are very challenging to the festival mm. um, because I think that this, this, uh, this ethos of excellence is very much entrenched in the institution, but maybe we're going to learn to be looser um, um, as a result of this, which would be a good thing. And, 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 you know, learning all these technological tools. I mean, for me, it's just, it's just a bonus because um um and i know that people have a lot of people have a lot of anxiety about about the fact that you know theater and digital are not the same thing and if you do something on a computer can you still can you still call it theater i have to say for me you know these especially since i believe in in um in a continuum between different artistic uh, disciplines, it's not something that that troubles me as much as mm. it troubles many others. Um, but but do you feel in 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 events management that you, there's the pressure to 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 produce something that's that's professional in a conventional way? Uh, I think there is in in events. I think. Um, because people are are coming in and, and also they're trying to engage people in a way that that's new because people don't have the attention span. You can't bring people in and have a keynote speaker drone for 30 minutes, 40 minutes, an hour um, and hold people's attention on video in the same way. So we've seen things like that reduce and and people want it to, to be dynamic in some way. Um well, that's but a I, challenge. <laughs> that is, that's the challenge as, as, as we've all seen, like we all start with, with zoom, for example, but zoom has its limitations. It's hard to be dynamic on zoom. There's other solutions, but then you have to get into other disciplines, other, other, other technologies and things like that. It can be, it can be very challenging, but I've also been fascinated by, by artists uh, who've been, experimenting and, and trying to figure out what they can do. Like if I have one, two cameras and I'm just one person, can I switch between the two? I've been watching, you know, Velvet, Velvet Wells doing his Nooner Crooner and trying to find different ways that he can make that sh the show that he does uh, uh, dynamic. And it's been fascinating to, to see the things that, that he's, that he's done. Um, but I also don't get all tied up in, in, in the idea of, of, you know, the hand wringing about, about digital and theater it's what we have right now, but I also have these hopes that maybe some aspect of it can continue when we're gathering in the theater again, that, that broadcasting theater is another avenue that we could have, um, that we can, we can strive for, you know, bringing people back to the theater, but now we can open up accessibility and, and, and send and, and provide theater to people who maybe can't go across the world to see it or, or something like that and still sell a ticket and still be able to, to share that with them. Well, I absolutely. And that's, that's something that's dear to my heart. And, and I don't know pro sports well, but I think that, isn't it true that when you watch a baseball game, they don't show the, the baseball game in your own town because so as not to curtail tickets uh, sales, uh, seat sales, that's something yeah, I like... They, 
they used to do that. I think you could always get it on the radio, but I think you're right about that. I mean, I'm not huge on sports, but I think you're right. So, so I'm just wondering why we don't do the same thing with theater. <laughs> that that you know that if if you don't live in Berlin, for example, mm. you you know you, you can you can see um, German theater from Canada, and 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 this is also as as you alluded to, it's a question of economics. Mm. Um, not everybody has the chance to um, you know go to New York City or go to London. Or, um, you know, on a yearly basis, which is really, which is really unfortunate because if, mm-hmm. if you're, if, if you're a writer, you can read novels from around the world. If you're a filmmaker, you can see films from around the world. Theater is very specific this way. And I understand mm-hmm. that that's one of the reasons why people love it. But I also feel that in Canadian theater, we can be a little bit insular sometimes. Mm-hmm. And being exposed to theater from other cultures, um, uh, yeah, absolutely. I remember being on a, a fringe tour across Canada and seeing um, there were people, you know, from from outside of Canada who came. I saw this this brilliant physical uh, uh, Japanese troupe put on like work magic, but precise magic that they created on a stage and it was very Japanese but it was also very beautiful and the things that they did still like are electricity in my brain I've watched people do big like full head mask stuff they were the mask doesn't move but it looks like it does I think and I would never have seen these things by staying home because they necessarily wouldn't necessarily have been able to come here we can learn so much by seeing work from other places and it will improve what we're doing and, 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 and expand what we can do. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and, and, um, yeah, I, I, I just, I, the first few weeks I got to be fair, I got tired of it quickly, Mm. but the first few weeks of the lockdown, I just, I just watched theater from around the world that was being put live online Mm-hmm. And it was, it, it, it's just, the thing is that theater from other cultures is, is kind, is, 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 is nourishment. And, and I, and I, I don't know why we don't see more international theater in, in, in Canada, but that's a different, that's a different conversation. Mm. But, but I was so grateful for those few weeks when I watched that theater that I would never have seen otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of the early days of, of the lockdown of the pandemic, uh, where, where were you when everything started and what were you doing or what had you intended to be doing? Yeah, I was I, I I was working at the festival. I didn't have my grant yet, but I was being uh, hired on a on a part time basis to help uh, the lab with with residencies um, that we had early in the year. Um, and I um I was working actually on a series of Hal Brown articles, and so this was a I was curating a series with uh, Ted Witzel, who's my who's my Metcalf mentor and the head of the lab. Hmm. And we um, we were work- curating this series with HowlRound. And this was a, a curation, this was a, a COVID-proof project because, because they were paying us. And so and 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 so when I got laid off by the by the festival, I just um, in March. I just continued working on the Howl Round articles and then Serb came in hmm. and I was rehired. And so I never stopped working. Hmm. Um, and, and of course, and I have these thoughts that I feel so guilty about because I'm like, because now I'm imagining that everybody else has been writing three plays and, you know, has written a memoir and, and, and and um and so but but you know what it's been great because i've been i've been amplifying um the voices of other artists which is you know obviously we don't have the festival doesn't have a lot of money these days mm. but we've been able to 
to uh you know to put money in artists' pockets, and so mm-hmm. that's that's a great reason to live and mm-hmm. to get up in the morning, and um, and yes, yeah, so with my internship. It's been a little bit different than what we imagined, but I'm learning so much. Mm. Uh, and and I think that the beginning of the lockdown now feels like it was 10 years ago. Um, and I don't know if other people feel the same way, but I didn't have enough mental space mm. to... to um, to, to you know to, to have too many philosophical cogitations because mm. I was I was busy working which is cool but you know I'm very much human and guilty of this whole the grass is always greener mm. sort of thing <laughs> yeah it I mean I at the beginning of at the beginning of, of the pandemic I you know I had a little bit of guilt because my job didn't go away yeah um, and so I was still employed and I saw all of my friends. I had sort of a survivor's guilt thing going on. Um, but eventually uh, I realized that, that, that all of those people were, were happy for me that I still had my job. So I could sort of let go of that guilt. It was mostly the, the, the fear, the anxiety that permeated the air that sort of kept me from any kind of creativity for like months, you know, and you know, 10 years ago when it was March. And um, it's only relatively recently that I've started to feel any kind of creative anything coming back into into my soul. Um, and I think I needed that that time to be able to to assimilate everything going on. Um, Do you, you feel were able you have, to sorry. No, go ahead, please. Do you feel you have perspective, though? Because it, I, I find it very interesting that some people can just have perspective as they are living through things. And I, I just can't. I don't. I I think that I, I don't think I necessarily have uh, perspective while I'm living through it. It's something that, that I think I can look back on and have perspective, but certainly not in the moment. Um. I'm guilty of of hours of doom scrolling on Facebook or on Twitter uh, <laughs> early on, um, unable to really take my eyes off everything and just filled with anxiety. It's only later on, I think, that that you can sort of look back and sort of think on 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 what's happened. Um, but it's our it's also hard because, like you said, like what is time? Uh, you look back at March and you're like. Was that months ago or was that like, was that 10 years ago? What's time? What, like, how long is anything? Well, have you, have you been able to find any perspective or, or are you, are you still, still searching for it? Um, well, you know what? I've actually tried not to, not to think about it. And I've actually, uh, I actually, deliberately decided not to keep a pandemic diary. Mm. Um, and I think that it's because I don't want to, to pretend that I understand what's going on. Mm. <laughs> and I, I know, I know it may, mm. it may sound strange, but I, I just, I just, um, I'm, I'm just bewildered uh, by the world around me right now mm. from, especially, you know, there are so many things, police brutality, mm. beheading and beheadings in France, mm. climate change, which is now, I, I deliberately try not to think about climate change because I'm like, this is too much. Yeah. But, but um, I also, I, I also fear that I'm, um, I, I I don't I I don't want my mind set in in anything right now, and mm. so I'm just allowing. Um, I I think that I'm being pretty um, fatalistic in terms of my of my um, inner monologue and try not to force anything, which is which of course is not very good for a creator, right? So I haven't I've done very little 
uh, writing this year. But that's so far this year. But that's okay. Um, and especially since I've been working, I'm thinking, you know what, this is this is enough. Um, I I have to say that honestly, in in every way, I'm I'm actually bracing myself. I I really feel that um, I I think that there's an excellent chance that Trump is going to win the election, and I think that all bets are off after that. I think mm. that after that he's going to be ten times worse than he was before, and and I know that this sounds crazy, but I I totally think I would not be surprised to find out that the arts are going to be completely censored um mm. and and i would not be surprised to you know if canadians are unpredictable and if they decide to go for an erin o'toole you know who's going to be you know uh yeah. trump's sidekick yeah god knows what's going to happen to the arts in canada and i know that sounds extraordinary but but we but but this kind of thing these sorts of things happen all over the world mm-hmm. all the time and you know if the american supreme court is going after is coming after uh american women's uteruses or uteri whatever um what makes you think theater is safe mm. and 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 i mean people are very concerned about the economics and and of course that that is probably that is probably a greater danger to theater than than Donald Trump mm-hmm. but but we have a sense of western uh, european exceptionalism that is completely um um that is a veil to the reality the reality of the fact that you know there was a holocaust mm-hmm. just just in historical terms it happened 2 hours ago yeah, you know, and and the notion that that this could not happen again, that this that this kind of extremist um, moment cannot happen again, I'm I'm not taking that for granted at all. I'm not saying that it's on my mind all the time. It's not, but I am not taking anything for granted. I am not, you know, whether we're talking about the pandemic and whether we're talking about the rise of extremism. I am not betting money on the fact that we're going to have theater in this country in two, three, or five years. I don't. Mm. I'm not. I don't think that theater will disappear forever. But I don't have. I'm not making. I'm not banking on anything right now. Mm. No, I understand that, and 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 you know, you say that that it's not occupying your mind all that much. It's occupying my mind a lot, um, <laughs> and you know, I try to. It's sort of like there's an anxiety, even though I don't live in the U.S., we are their closest neighbor. And I don't even like to think about the fact that we might have resources they want and what would happen in that in that in that situation. Um, but yeah, it's it's horrifying to think yeah. about. Yeah. And, and it's also important sometimes um, to understand that we love theater theater is our is our is is a big part of our lives um but in this moment maybe theater doesn't matter as much and and sometimes i just i just i hear things that make me feel that 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 maybe we're we're missing something about the enormity of this moment hmm. By being yeah. too insular. Well, I mean, being insular is sort of a, a defense mechanism. Mm-hmm. It's it's the kind of thing that makes people feel safe when they shouldn't be. Um, it keeps you from looking outward because you're looking inward. And and I think that, that you know, it, it can feel safe. And sometimes when you feel safe, you're not actually watching for uh, danger. You're not aware of what might be coming your way, um, and that's and that in itself is frightening. That that we could that we could be so insular and be missing warning signs. Yeah. Um, I'm going to change gears a little bit. Um, I 
would like to ask you, and this is something I've been asking everybody as we, you know, since the pandemic started, um, what has been giving you joy every day? <laughs> oh, I'm going to come across as such a lame person. Um, my dog and my cats. There is nothing lame about that at all. <laughs> um, because you know they're steadfast, mm. and um, and they 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 teach you great lessons about um, living in the moment, mm-hmm. uh, sleeping through the moment, and <laughs> and um, and. Um, and and you know I I am so grateful, uh, for my pets because mm. because because I get to touch, um, mm. you know I get to touch living beings and and and, and of course I you know I I have my partner, <laughs> but uh, but but um you know the it, it it's it's just great you know to to sleep at night with four heartbeats around mm. you. Just that I've been thinking yeah. about that uh, this this year, the, this notion of sleeping with four heartbeats, hmm. um, and and that that had never really crossed my mind before. And one thing that I'm very grateful for, actually, um, and even though it is is to be is to be out of a big city. I'm a big city girl, and hmm. moving to Stratford was a was this was it something I would not have predicted for myself, but, mm. but actually going through the pandemic in, in, in a, in a small town, I'm very grateful for that. I can, I can, I can just, I have a backyard. I was able to be there all summer mm. to do all my zoom meetings from there. I'm grateful for, you know, the, the mundane parts of life, like cooking and Netflix Hmm. And, um, and, uh, of course I miss my friends, but, but there's also been a lot of joy in just, um, in, I, I, I have felt closer to nature this year mm-hmm. than I have in previous years. Um, and so, yeah, the, and, hmm. and that's the thing, right? It's just that it's been, I've had, I, I've had so many new opportunities this year. I mean, it's been mm. the last two years, but this year, um, I thought, oh my God, this is going to be, you know, my my turning point here. It's going to be mm. like this is it, and and so and then a pandemic happens, and you're like, oh my God, what's going to happen to my life? But I've been I've been lucky. Um, opportunities have kept coming, um, and and so yeah that that's that's what's been giving me joy those are excellent answers sadie thank you so much for for sitting down and talking with me today thank you so much phil that was great This has been a Homebody Productions production.